Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Hello and welcome to my live interview for Victoria Souls podcast this evening. Today I have a gentleman named Danielle C. Dan Daniel C. I was so focused on saying his last name correctly, I used my own name. And here we go again with why I do these live so you know that I'm a real person and I care about you getting authentic information. We don't edit out the mistakes. This is just me. So Daniel comes to us all the way from Australia. He is a productivity expert who suffered burnout, but then he recovered himself from that. And he's going to be sharing his story with us today, along with his award-winning book, Space Maker. And he has a consulting group that he co-founded. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive that lady on the internet who loves you. So welcome with me, Daniel C. Hi. Hi, Daniel. I'm so sorry. I introduced and I called you Danielle at the beginning. Oh my goodness. I had- Oh, well, it's a nice name, isn't it? So that's all right. I'm happy to be Danielle, but maybe Daniel <laughs> for this interview. It's great to have, uh, it's great to meet you again and be on the show. Yeah, well, I had gone to your website. I was going to ask you how to pronounce your name and you had it on there, how to say it. It's C, right? Yeah, like the ocean. It's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. like the yeah. ocean. It's how I wrote it down because it's S-I-H and I would have never guessed that's how to pronounce it. So I'm very glad you had that on there. At least I said your last name correctly. Yeah, no, well done. I must admit, if I was in like some parts of China, you, you would uh, call my name uh, Daniel Shit, which uh, sounds a bit more like a swear word. So I we, <laughs> we just keep it as uh, C for Westerners. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, or like you just sneezed. <laughs> like I sneezed. <laughs> Uh, well, I was telling them about how you suffered burnout and then you came recovered yourself from that and you have this book Space Makers and you're going to share your story and you have co-founded a consulting group and everything. But before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about Daniel, who you are and your family, where you live and life before you got into all of this. Yeah, so look, I live in Hobart, Tasmania. Uh, if you don't know where that is, there's an island at the bottom of Tasmania. Which probably the next stop south would be Antarctica, and uh, it's beautiful. It's like a small New Zealand with mountains, and it's uh, it's it's cooler than other parts of Australia. You've probably heard of the Tasmanian Devil if you watch too many cartoons yes. as a child, although they don't really spin around like they did on the Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> uh, so I live I live there. Uh, I'm married. I've been married 20 years this year, which is you know, um, congratulations, an achievement. Uh, and uh, so my wife is a nurse. And I met her when I was a physiotherapist or a physical therapist in the States. And so that was my first career working in hospitals and 
working with orthopedics and uh, you know, treating elderly people, helping them uh, get back on their feet. Uh, I have three children. So I have a 15 year old. So the kind of the teenage years and then 12 and 10 year old boys. Uh, and they're pretty amazing. They are dressed up right now uh, for book week. So they're dressed up as different characters in books and they just kiss me goodbye. So uh, yeah, it's wow. been nice. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and I live in community as well. As? Oh, uh, they dressed up as a blue fairy. That was my daughter. Uh, I don't know what book that was. And my sons went as a, mm, at, what's it called? A ranger and mm -hmm. another character and and my my younger son is very creative and he didn't want to use any of the books that he just <laughs> he just wanted to make his own character up so he wrote a book called the boy with the hat and he uh wore a hat <laughs> <laughs> and brought and brought his own book so he's like it's in this book <laughs> there you go how creative that is so cool wow so when you sh you struggled with burnout when did that struggle happen to you? When did you tell us about that struggle? Yeah, look, it's, it's hard to pinpoint. Uh, look, in terms of when I you know, realized I was struggling with anxiety and burnout, it would have been 10 years ago. Yeah, about 10 years ago, slightly over. Uh, but, you know, even as a child, I had I was a fairly insecure child and I, I had nervous twitches. And I, so I was probably a little prone to um, nervousness, potentially. Uh, my family have mental health issues in their in, in our in our background, I suppose. Uh, so I've always been a bit aware that I need to be careful of my mental health because of my family heritage. Oh, okay. uh, but yeah, it probably wasn't until uh, it, it was around about took about three months, I think, where I, I started to really feel like I was stretched and uh, tired. I, I didn't feel what I would have called anxiety. It's more that I wasn't sleeping well. I was working too many hours. Uh, I just wasn't having very much fun and, and just felt stretched across work and life. Um, yeah, which I suppose is pretty common for many of us. So what made you feel like something was wrong? Well, uh, breathlessness. For me, it was a physical thing. So I started to feel breathless uh, before I uh, spoke in front of a group. Uh, and I felt breathless when I um, was just having a busy day. And I thought that's really unusual because I'm relatively fit. So I was wondering what was wrong. Uh, and then eventually I started to feel breathless at the dinner table. And then even just, I ran out of breath reading books to my kids, you know, little picture books. And I'm like, well, this is hopefully not too stressful, this situation. <laughs> uh, maybe there's something wrong with my, my body. And so I had all these tests, lung function tests and heart tests, which, which I'm thankful that I got to have them. And I'm also thankful that I wasn't uh, physically unwell in that sense. But um, yeah, the doctor just said, I think it's your lifestyle and it's the way in which you're living. And, and, and I would call this anxiety. And so that was the first time I'd ever recognized wow. uh, anxiety in my life in that sense. Wow. I was going to ask before you went into the doctor thing, it's like you would wonder if you're having all this trouble breathing that you did. You jumped to the conclusion that maybe there was something physically wrong with you, but it was the internal manifesting on the external and the doctor was really the one who pointed it out. Yeah. And they're all connected, you know, our mind, our body, our spirit. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing how spiritual changes can change your physical body and vice versa. I've had those other experiences as well. Uh, but no, it was, it was a wake up call. And really for, for, for the doctor, he heard about my lifestyle. So I was running three jobs at the time 
and oh, wow. um, so what I was a phys- did I was, you have? <laughs> I was a physical therapist, a physiotherapist, uh, part-time uh, leading a, a service of like 17 health sites. So it wasn't necessarily a small job. And then uh, I was, I'd started this hobby business, which is now Space Makers, but um, we were just training people on the side uh, to help manage their email inbox. We called it Email Ninja. And, and that was meant to be a hobby because I enjoyed helping people improve their productivity skills. But it was starting to ramp up and I was really interested in it and really enjoying it, even though it paid no money. Uh, and, <laughs> and at the same time, my church pastor left and they needed someone to step in. And so I, I was actually asked to be, I suppose, a church pastor for that interim period. Which, so completely different jobs as well. Right. So <laughs> and, that sounds uh, actually like four jobs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I had three. Well, I had two. And, and well, you one, were a husband. One or two and, children at and the time. are a husband and and a dad. So you had like six jobs. Yeah. So <laughs> no you wonder know, one, you were having trouble breathing. <laughs> yeah. Lesson lesson learned. You know, everyone. I, I have a fairly high capacity for managing complexity, but everyone has a limit, and it was it was a really important wake up call. Uh, the other actually wake up calls, I had a friend who was actually a minister as well, who had breathing issues and he had them about nine or 10 months before. And uh, I don't think he, he, he continued pushing through and ended up uh, basically in true burnout where his body broke down and he needed to be in hospital and, and, uh, and, and he was off work for years after that and never, never returned to his same capacity. And so it was, it was actually, I'm really thankful I saw that in a close friend and realized, wow, I don't want to head down that path. And so I need wow. to really take my health as a priority and not just do the guy thing, you know, and uh, push through and say, it's going to be fine. Or even as you had said in the beginning, before we started how you're a type A, that's a very type A thing to just yeah. push through. I mean, male I- or female, it's like, they're just, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Add something more, add something more, add something more. <laughs> Definitely. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it's just in Australia, statistically, the uh, guys are less likely to go to a doctor if they have a health issue than females. So I think <laughs> as a very broad uh, population trend, uh, we need right, to right. take care of our health. Yeah. No, I meant that both add up, add more to the pile. <laughs> they all add up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree. Women do tend to go to the doctor quicker than men, but you just there's a lot of personality all. in there too. So <laughs> there's a lot of personality. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do when this happened after the doctor said that? Were you having any problems in your relationship or was it just in your physical body? Yeah, I, I, I'm very thankful. I mean, I've, I've got a strong marriage. We've, you know, we've definitely had our rocky periods, but I oh, think at human, that time, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. 20 years. I mean, but at that point, uh, I, I think we were in a good point. So um, you know, my wife is very understanding and empathetic. And I think when she realized that I was unwell, uh, I think she, I can't really remember. So, which is probably an indication that she was amazing. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I was tired when I've been overstressed, then I've been cr- cranky and tired and not mm-hmm. present you know what my wife would say is i'm usually quite a light uh, light-hearted i um i'm playful is probably the word uh, in yeah. the family and uh when i when i go through a period when i'm really working too hard or feeling near burnout or stressed i lose that playfulness and i become more serious and for her that's an indication that i'm not as fun to be around and that i'm not as fun for the kids uh and it's you know one of those early signs and i, I think this is it i think 
uh, when most, most of us will wrestle with chronic health issues, whether it be mental health or physical health throughout our life. And, and part of the secret is having enough self-awareness to recognize the early signs and knowing what the strategies you need to kick into place are to mitigate going forward. And so I do that now, but you know, one of those early signs for me now is when I stop making dad jokes and I'm too serious and, and don't laugh very much. Well, then it's time to look at how much I'm working. Yeah, well, I'm going to pause here and just address the audience because I think this is a really important point I want you to get. Because Daniel's not the only person where this particular piece shows up. This loss of sense of humor, this loss of playfulness, this loss of the joy. So if you are suffering any of those in your life, I want you to take pause and really listen to what Daniel has to say and how you can help your life to get your sense of humor back, to get your joy back, to get your playfulness back. Because that's how we enjoy life. And we need that to enjoy life. Life is hard. We, we can't get around that. But we can find ways to have joy in the middle of it anyway. <laughs> so then what are some of the things that you did to take ownership of your life again, when you had this wake up call at the doctor and the doctor's like, well, this is called anxiety. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't really know that. What did you do to respond to that? Yeah. And I, I think part of the anxiety, there were two things going on. One, I knew that I couldn't sustain three. It wasn't just three jobs. It was three, three careers at the same time. <laughs> and so I, I already, and you're just one that. person, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, just I already, <laughs> <laughs> I already knew that that wasn't healthy or sustainable. And I'd been wrestling with that. So I had the big questions of what do I do with my career? Uh, and then, and then the second part of it is what I do with my personal habits. So I might separate them because I think they were both at play and they're both important in this situation. So in terms of the career, I mean, I, I was in this dilemma because I could see the wind changing. I, I could see that uh, it was time to make a shift. And I, I had been a physiotherapist. What well, was my first job? I'd been a physio for 10 years. I was senior in my career. You know, I, I did my study through physiotherapy and it, it paid well. It was permanent. Uh, so it's, it's hard to make a transition away from a career where you're quite established, particularly yeah. when you have young kids. And I had a mortgage as well. Oh yeah. And, uh, and yet I just felt like my time had come and it's more that I, I definitely wanted to trend to continue in the management and leadership area rather than doing clinical work. But every time I stepped up into a senior job, it just became more paperwork and bureaucracy. And, uh, that's the way the government works. And it just, it's not me. I'm very entrepreneurial. Uh, even though I didn't know it, I wouldn't have used those terms at the time. Uh, and, and ministry is a passion. Uh, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I felt at that stage, I really wanted to serve the church and contribute in that way. Uh, and yet, you know, that's not a very lucrative job from a financial perspective. I think I was paid a day and a half a week to do like a lot more work than that. And then, <laughs> and then my, my business was really a hobby. I mean, we worked uh, for the first two years. And, and at the end of every year at Christmas, we took our wives, it's a partnership, we took our wives out for dinner. And that was the entire pay we received for the year. So you can't really live on that. So it was this weird thing where I had this passion project. And yet, I knew that my time was up with physio. Um, and so that was hard, I had to make a call. And sometimes, you know, these physical illnesses are a blessing, because they force us to make the changes we know we need to make. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I wasn't sure what it was until I had these two conversations. I'll be brief if that's okay. But oh, I had a 
elaborate. That's good. Okay. <laughs> okay. I had a conversation with my physio manager and she was, she was fantastic. One of the best people I've worked with, but she, she said, look, I can see that your heart isn't in this like it was. And obviously you're not in a great place, you know, personally, but we don't want to lose you. So uh, if you decide you need to change your role, uh, you could drop down to a day a week. I'll keep you permanent and you can basically do whatever you want to do using your creative skills and project skills, which is what I really love to use. Uh, and, wow. and, I, and it's really nice of her. And I, that was really fantastic. But um, then she said, that way you'll be safe and secure if everything else doesn't work out. And uh, she was being really kind, but I just, it was, right. this, I had this gut visceral feeling, this intuition that uh, it was almost like, I just knew that the only reason I would stay in my physio career is because I was fearful uh, mm. and because I wanted to be safe and secure. And, and from a faith and identity perspective, I'm like, no, I don't want to live like that. Like that's, that, yeah. that shouldn't be how I make decisions. And I could see immediately that if I, if I continued down that track, well, then in 20 years, I'd be in a golden cage, you know, and I'd have a safe and yeah. secure job that I hated. So um, it, it was actually the thing that thrust me to resign entirely and give up my permanency and, and take the plunge. Uh, and, and the second thing is about a week later, I had a coffee or a dinner with a friend and he was a businessman who owned a consultancy, which is a bit like mine now. And he was quite successful. And so I, I wanted to get some mentoring and I said to him, oh, Pete, I've made a decision. Uh, I'm, I'm going to quit my safe and secure job and take the plunge and be an entrepreneur. Uh, and I was expecting him to encourage me. And he looked me in the eye and he said, that would be dumb. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and it was another wake up call. And what he was saying, you know, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids and I'm going to be broke and it's going to be super hard and I'm going to have to work really hard. And I'm physically not that well at the moment. So um, how can you do this in a sensible way? And that was really helpful as well. So I, I, en I ended up doing some part-time physio stuff, um, casually uh, made some changes with my church role. I, I still quit physio and then I ended up bivocational for 10 years, part-time mm. part, part pastoring and part-time uh, part business. But yeah, that was, they were the right decisions. And those two are heart moments. You know, for me, they were God moments. We're like, okay, I, I know what I need to do. and that was unloading a whole lot of stuff in my life in order to move into the next stage and, and take it slower. So that's the big picture. Sometimes you need to, sometimes you actually need to make some hard calls if you really have a completely unsustainable work life or yeah. you're in a job that you actually can't not work 50 hours a week or more. Uh, there comes a point where you just have to accept reality yeah. and make a change at that big level. Yeah. Wow. So what are some of the things that you did to bring about these changes? I mean, you talk in, in your um, communication with me before about, you talked about patterns and rhythms and things like that. Can you elaborate on, on some of that, of how you leaned into making the space for your life to go into mm. this whole new direction? Yeah. And, and that was the personal stuff, the, the texture of my life that needed to change. So I needed to change the big picture stuff because I couldn't find a way forward to be more sustainable and healthy in that environment but yeah then I got a mentor and we started to work through okay how do I invest in a better lifestyle <laughs> and particularly in the end I, I came to the conclusion that space is really precious and there wasn't any margin or buffer in my life which is why I, my business is called space makers now and my book is space maker it's about 
the value of space in the clutter of life and to think and to rest and and particularly to invest in deep rest and deep thought and deeper relationships and so uh i stumbled upon upon this idea it's not a radical idea but i didn't know it at the time of uh predictable patterns or rhythms in my life and the Mm -hmm. importance of creating a cadence to your life uh both and it's a productivity skill for working well but it's also one for resting well and I ended up over the next year adding in healthier rhythms into my schedule prioritizing space before work and learning to have a slower um, more steady maybe not less more steady uh, more considered intentional way of living my life uh, individually and as a family unit and that was that was you know such an important part of my recovery over that year so an example, you know, that a, a practical example, I started to take quarterly silent retreats and would have a day every quarter. So I, and I've been doing this for a decade, you know, summer, autumn, winter, spring. Uh, I have a day by myself at the beach without devices and I walk up and down the beach and I think and I pray and I write in my journal and I reflect on where I'm heading and where I want to go so that I don't, I don't end up too quickly in a situation again where my life is very unsustainable and I haven't thought right, about the big right. picture. Uh, on, a, on a smaller level, I started to investigate the idea of the Sabbath and the idea of what it might look like to have an intentional day where you're focusing on rest and remembrance and investing in family and disconnecting completely from work, uh, which eventually became a digital Sabbath, which I wrote about in my book when technology became an integral part of what it meant to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then on the smaller levels, I started to build in patterns, better patterns of exercise, uh, better patterns of self-care. Like I have a massage every six weeks and that has helped me with my, I know it's hardcore, (laughs) isn't it? You know? Uh, Yeah. And, and patterns where I, um, yeah, I pray, I, I read scripture in the morning and uh, yeah, where, where we have time with people as well. I I have a, a weekly meal with friends who I live in community with. And I've been doing that for more than a decade as well. So trying to build in patterns around mm-hmm. rest and relationship and deep thought. And yeah, they've been really valuable over time. Wow. That sounds beautiful. It reminded me a little bit of, I'm just finished reading a book by Dr. Caroline Leaf, cleaning up your mental mess. And she talks about, she doesn't call it deep thinking, but she talked about brain building, but it sounds yeah. you know, similar to your deep thinking. And that's part of it because there's different pattern to go through to do, get to that deep thinking. You know, you first, you think about it, the first thing, and then you, like I reworded it to make myself understand it because she were, used a lot of science words because she's hmm. a brilliant neuroscientist and I'm not a scientist. <laughs> it's like, it was like to, uh, contemplate to to consider to contemplate to conceptualize to circle back again and then to carry it out it's like you go a little bit deeper with each thing and it sounds like that's what you're doing on your retreats that you do and just seeking to do that that deeper part of who you are because one of the things you had shared is during this whole process you went through that you discovered more of who you are. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think discovering more of who you are is definitely a lifetime journey. I mean, I'm 44 now, so I'm obviously in a different age group than I was. Someone once said, uh, a friend of mine, Alan Hirsch said, um, you spend the first uh, 40 years of your life 
trying to try out different puzzle pieces and work out what should be your puzzle. And then you spend the next kind of 20, 30 years or more putting the puzzle together. You know, that idea that you try lots when you're young and then you start focusing when you're in your middle ages. And I, I certainly see that happening in my life. Um, that didn't answer your question. So the, <laughs> the question is- No, but that was uh, very I, interesting. <laughs> what did I discover about myself? I suppose what I'm trying to say is I'm still discovering who I am, but uh, uh, I, I think what I, and I concluded this in the book, actually, my, I've always wrestled with space. So, you know, Richard Bach says, I teach best what I most need to learn. And I think the reason I can write a book about how to make space is because I've wrestled with it for more than 20, 30 years, mm. because I love work. I love starting new things. I love being active. And yet I also love my family and I believe in self-help and community and spirituality and silence and solitude. So how do you put that together? And, uh, and so I, I learned love how you would, you'd said a little earlier about, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but about creating space in the clutter of life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, life is cluttered and there's more than we can possibly do each day. You made uh, it sound just so natural, the clutter of life. <laughs> it's, it's, so of life. it's so true. It's so true. We don't I'm think so of true. it as cluttered though. So we oh, need every, that space. Especially digital clutter. I mean, we, won't even, we haven't even got there yet, but yeah, life has been cluttered for a long time. Yeah, but it just keeps getting more cluttered. And the... I mean, the analogy, I will go back to the question, but the analogy I use when I'm training people is I, I will pour water into a glass and mm -hmm. I will keep pouring uh, until it overflows. And then I'll keep pouring until it starts falling down the table and then onto the floor and everyone starts to feel uncomfortable, <laughs> especially the OCD people in the room. Uh, however, my description is that we only have a finite capacity. Like you said, there's one Daniel, right? You know, we mm -hmm. have a finite amount of energy and time. And if that represents our life, the time we have each day or each week, the water represents the actual stuff that is bombarding us, the options we have in a Western culture, the digital options, the school drop-offs and pickups and the to-do lists and the sleep we need to have and the physical yeah. exercise we're meant to do. Like there's more than we will ever, ever do. I already feel tired from you saying that. <laughs> exactly. But that's the reality of life. And actually I see no change. I cannot see a situation in the next 10 years where there's less clutter or there's less water pouring into our glass and where right. we can fill up our glass and have everything kind of organized. So if that's the case, the only option we have is to let culture and life kind of take over what we do or to say, I'm just going to choose what goes in first. And for me, those rhythms and patterns are a way of saying rest comes before work, family and relationships, community comes before work. Um, and, and the ability to think deeply and to have contemplative time to address the inner life comes first. They go on my calendar. They're part of my schedule. Nothing uh, like they're sacrosanct. And then all the other stuff that flows in, whether it be the Netflix episodes I want to watch or the books I want to read or you know the, the things I have to do for clients, that, that has to then come in with the space that's left. But what was happening before is I just let everything else flow in first and the stuff that flew out, you know, mm -hmm. fell out was really important uh, and it, and I ended up burning out. So um, it, it's a, an intentional choice to, to yeah. fill your cup first with what really matters. And yeah, that's that what it means to make similar space. Similar to the um, seven habits of highly effective people. And there he talks about a container with rocks and you put the big rocks in and then the next size rocks and the next size rocks till you get to the sand. <laughs> Definitely. And the, the only difference he wrote, uh, so Stephen Covey wrote that in the early 90s, from my understanding, and mm -hmm. he described it as if, 
if you put in the big rocks first and the most important things like I described, uh, well, then you can put in the rock, the smaller rocks and the sand and not so much falls out. And I think he was right. But the difference now is, um, and, and Oliver Berkman actually in 4,000 weeks wrote a great book a few years ago. Uh, he said that nowadays you, you actually can't even fit the big rocks in. Uh, so we're now, we're now having to make decisions about which big rock we put in because there's just so little capacity and so much we're asked to do. And yeah. so in an environment where the rocks are just getting bigger and bigger and there's more and more stuff, uh, it, it just becomes even more important to ruthlessly prioritize and to, to be able to set boundaries on your time and to just know when enough is enough. Same principle, but just a slightly different context. Right. And really focusing on what you focus on is focusing on your principles, your priorities and getting <laughs> serious about what does really matter to you, which requires space to do that. Yeah. You have to take space to find out what space you want. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the irony, isn't it? Most people don't have enough space. So deep thought and contemplation is one of the habits I value a lot because uh, I think if you don't take time to think about who you are, what you value, uh, for me, it's if I'm not listening to the spirit of God and, and gaining discernment uh, in, in where I'm meant to head and how to make hard choices, uh, then I don't have the moral conviction or the guidance to say no to the cultural pressures around me. And there are so many things that consumer culture say, you must do this, you must look like this, you must act like this. And, and if you don't have time to think your own thoughts rather than someone else's thoughts, you end up living another person's script and it's usually not yeah. the script that you're meant to live. And so if you want to live an intentional life and to live the life that you're meant to live rather than the one that the shareholders of Silicon Valley tech companies want you to live, well, then you need to actually carve out space to reflect on your inner life and, and to understand who you are and where you're heading because you yeah. simply can't hear the voice of God. You can't hear your soul when you're scrolling Instagram. It just doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah, that's so, so true. So true. But there's two words that you use to create space. And I really want to make sure that you get a chance to speak to those. You use the, the word beauty and wonder in creating space. Will you talk about that? Yeah, for me, space is partly about creativity and beauty and wonder. Uh, you know, I, I when I speak at, let's say, in a, in a faith community, I, I use similar words, but I'd, I'd say that... Um, you know, in, in, in heaven, you know, <laughs> there, there, when, when things are perfect, when heaven comes to earth, there won't be clutter. There won't be email notifications and <laughs> endless scrolling. There won't like, I guarantee right? there won't be uh, infinity scrolling in heaven. And, and we're not going to have an endless to-do list where we're running to stand still and can never breathe. You know, I think there'll be really meaningful work uh, and important relationships, but it will be different. And therefore, um, and for me, that means that's about space. You know, there will be space to think and rest and wonder and imagine and dream and create uh, to love people deeply and to not feel rushed. And if that's what heaven will be like, well, then uh, in, in my understanding of Jesus, he says, <laughs> that's what the earth needs to be like. And that's our role to bring about heaven on earth, you know, as on earth as is in heaven, he prays. So, um, so, so for me, space making is actually drawing the future into the present and seeking to experience the joy and wonder and mystery and spirituality of the time to come into this age here and now. Uh, so that's how I express it from a faith perspective when I'm speaking to people who understand, well, who, who see the world in that way. 
Mm -hmm. Well, that does sound very beautiful <laughs> and very peaceful and very enjoyable. And so those are those words are very emotional. If someone would pause to think about the word wonder and beauty, they just they taste like chocolate. <laughs> you <laughs> Without know, being bad for you. <laughs> yeah, and they're not bad for you, but they, they have that that some people don't like chocolate. For those of you who don't like chocolate, I'm sorry. You come up with something you think tastes wonderful to you. It was just the first thing that that I thought of was, wow, like chocolate or something. Of you yeah. know, what's your favorite dessert? Just beauty and wonder. They are just they're marvelous. They're just marvelous words. I love those words. And I think it links to the playfulness that I talked about before. You know, um, I, I think in our rational, busy workplace society, we are we have lost this the wonder. And wonder, you know, when you look at the stars, it's a classic. You, know, you look at the stars and you actually think about how small we are on Earth compared to the billions of planets around us. Like mm -hmm. it's mind boggling. And, uh, and, you know, Rabbi Abraham Heschel writes a beautiful book uh, on wonder uh, called God in Search of Man. And he talks about how wonder, you know, both connects us with the big, but it connects us with the small. And, and uh, it, there is a sense of finding confidence and strength in who you are when you surrender to the hugeness of the world and how small you are there's this paradox that when you know how small and insignificant you are you can also somehow experience significance and so yeah we we need space to wonder and yeah. it's it's worth pursuing because we're spiritual beings and if we lose the sense of playfulness and wonder and joy and the, the impossibility the creativity the texture of not knowing well, then I think we become less than we could be as humans. Yeah. Wonder is, I think, very important. I had read an article a few years back. There was about how, about Sunday school and how they were messing things up. I don't remember the title of it, but the point that I got from the article was how much wonder was missing from that it was a became about rules and regulations and do this and do that and don't do this and you know memorize this and know this story and it was all just stuff yeah it wasn't yeah. filled with wonder and humanity is filled with wonder our, our world is filled with wonder god is filled with wonder and like just watching a caterpillar turn into a butterfly or watching one walk along the ground or you know when you watch a baby discover their hands there is so much wonder if we will take a moment to see it. And then it yeah. changes us on the inside when we have that space, because wonder is beautiful. So yeah, thank you definitely. for those two words. I just said, I didn't expect to go off on all of that, that with those two words, but I just, they are, I think they're, I think they're powerful and mm. they speak to people, wonder and beauty. So tell us about your book. Do you have a copy of your book with you to hold up? Tell us the title of your book uh, and the do. subtitle. I do. There we are. Lots of lots of uh, little blue dots with techno technological things there with a space maker in the middle trying to carve out the space. Um, yeah, so the book is a manifesto about helping people to rethink their relationship with the online world, recognizing that space is incredibly precious. And yet most of us have very little space in our lives, particularly since the digital explosion, let's say 10, 15 years ago. And a lot of the space that's taken up in our lives is actually because of digital clutter, not just 
even everyday clutter. Mm. And if we don't rethink our paradigm, our beliefs uh, about technology, and then reorientate our patterns. So I talk a lot about patterns around true north principles. How do, mm-hmm. how do we actually orientate our, our worldview and our life around healthy patterns and principles? Well, then you can't establish the last bit, which is the digital practices of unplugging and unwinding to think clearly and restfully. Um, so I take people on a journey to change their mindset, their beliefs about technology and why mm-hmm. technology has kind of hooked us in an unhealthy way. Uh, in terms of overuse so i'm not rejecting tech but i'm talking about i know we we're using it, it right much. now so <laughs> exactly yeah uh, my whole life is involved with tech so i'm not anti-tech but it's it's when you overuse it and you fill up your whole glass with tech or you put it in first uh how do you orientate the principles and how do you end up with better practices uh, yeah so so that the, and and ultimately it's about helping you make space to think and rest and uh love those around you to to wonder to breathe, <laughs> to um, experience the fullness of humanity that we lose if we overfill our cup with too much tech. Yeah. What is the subtitle of your book? Uh, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. Awesome. And then you also started the Space Makers. You're the co-founder with that. What, what is that all about? Oh, so it's, look, Space Makers is a, yes, it's the, the book is called Space Maker, and I never intended to call it Space Maker. And I wrestled with the book title for like years. It took me seven years to write the book. So it's, it's been a very long journey. Uh, but um, one day a friend of mine said, seriously, why don't you just call it Space Maker? Because that's what it's about. I'm like, oh, yeah. But my business has always been Space Makers. So we, um, we, do, two, we do a few things. We help. Uh, we, pro- we provide training to help people make space by shifting the way they live and work. Uh, so practical habits of how do you get your inbox to zero? Uh, how do you run online to-do lists? How do you make priorities? How do you reestablish patterns in your life so that you can work effectively? So productivity skills, essentially, to make space. Uh, so they're the kind of habits of almost keeping pace in order to get stuff done and use technology really well. Uh, and then I teach people now the habits of making space, which are the opposite, kind of the counter habits of, of what I described, which are about mm-hmm. unplugging and doing less and setting cadence in your life. And both of them are needed to meet in the middle and to become really, really productive as senior leaders or executives. Um, so yeah, I train, I speak, and I write. Uh, that's what I do. Oh, that's awesome. So how can people connect with you? Uh, so I have a website, spacemakers.com.au. Uh, yeah, check it out. I've got free chapters of my book. I've got guides on how to create a digital Sabbath if you're interested in actually exploring that idea more uh, and a blog as well. So it's all at spacemakers.com.au. I'd love a conversation if you want us to train your team. That's awesome. Well, did we leave anything out? Anything you want to add to this? Like maybe something about kids and technology or something? <laughs> that's that's a big conversation i've just written another book uh raising tech healthy humans it's not out yet it's another few months but around the idea of how do we help our children to become humans and to really experience humanity by helping them with healthy tech habits uh i'm not sure i can give you a quick tip except for uh we should celebrate raising kids as humans not just kind of yeah before we help them have too much tech Right. So when can we expect this book to come out? November. Before Ooh, Christmas. so soon at least. It's very soon. I'm excited. I'm, I'm in the editing phase. So I, I enjoy this part of the book launch. Yep. 
Oh, so good. So I got to bring that up. I get to help promote your book then. Yeah, you the thank title, you. Um, what was the title of that book that's uh, coming out? I think it will be Raising Tech Healthy Humans. Yeah. And uh, it, it will basically be how to make great decisions around tech habits for younger kids. We call them primary kids, so five to 12 years old. So the kind of pre-teens, uh, mm. tween stage. If you can set them up well for life with good tech habits then then i think they can be healthier humans when they're older and so i want right, to help so parents practically do that it sounds like what you're doing is you're oh, what's the way to put it you're trying to burn out proof them <laughs> i don't know in in some ways <laughs> maybe I'm trying proof to give is them... too strong of a word but <laughs> i'm trying inoculate to inoculate them, them. <laughs> inoculate maybe I'm, I'm trying to help parents give kids a reference point for life in its mm -hmm. breadth and depth and wonder beyond screens so that if they become completely obsessed and burnt out and addicted and <laughs> and so online that they can never turn off mm -hmm. they will at least remember a time when they walked on the beach and they experienced uh, fresh air <laughs> where they had meals with real friends without having to photograph it and, and where they could experience the joy of being human because uh, if they have that reference point from a neurological and spiritual perspective, they can return to it. But if they mm -hmm. never had that, if they only knew Minecraft uh, and only knew life inside, uh, well, then it's very hard to work out when they end up burnt out or anxious like me, where do you go? Because you have no memory of a life when you were really deeply human. And, uh, and so that's actually my heartbeat. Yeah. So in some wow. ways, yeah, maybe, maybe not future proof, but, uh, but to help with future burnout <laughs> uh, will it be available in audio yeah ah mm, probably if i don't burn out getting there <laughs> <laughs> well don't burn out getting there i won't take a out. sabbath and then do it <laughs> it will be i reckon it will be an audio in february because i'm going to okay. have a long summer and then i'll record it again like i did with my last book okay so you're heading into summer there yeah Whoa, oh, this we're is the heading time into of year winter for... here <laughs> I know. I know. This is where we get excited. <laughs> ah, we were doing that the opposite time. <laughs> and you said you're Tasmania. That's real close to Antarctica. Uh, well, it's it's very far south compared oh, to most places still in the world. pretty far south. I, my nephew's in Antarctica right now. He, he oh, does yeah. weather stuff down there. So, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not we don't have blizzards and snow in that sense but we're um we're quite yeah temperate it's but it's 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 a beautiful place to live and a beautiful summer oh wonderful well thank you for being with us today there's so much to think about it's like i want to go back and talk about it all the, again because it's just it's so deep and it is it's beautiful so thank you for being with us today thanks so much for having me on the show danielle i appreciate it and for all of you here check out Daniel's book, check out his website. So you can not burn out and be ready for when that new book comes out for your teenagers, your preteens. I'm going to be on the lookout for that for my grandkids. Thank you for being with us today. Until next time, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further, so please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life.
no one can do it for you.